Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 3. I invite you to follow along as I read uh, on, from that this morning. I'm going to be reading verses 8 through 24. It's page 3 in the Pew Bibles. And this morning I'm not going to comment on it, but I will be referring to it in the main message. My only comment is, these are the Lord's words which he spoke after we had fallen into sin, after the worst possible thing that could have happened, happened. Genesis 3, 8 through 24. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain shall you bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Our New Testament scripture reading this morning for our Christmas message is Revelation chapter 12. And I'm going to read the first six verses, but I'll be referring to the, the entire chapter lately, later. But the message really does focus on the first six, so that's what I'm going to read right now. Revelation chapter 12, 1034 in the few Bibles. And a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, where, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Congregation of Christ, the passage we've just read isn't one which we readily associate with Christmas. When we think of the Christmas story, most of us think of angels and shepherds and the star that led the Magi to the Christ child. People with more secularized ideas of Christmas think of Santa and sleighs and reindeer and maybe even of toy soldiers. But whoever thinks of a dragon and a child born to slay that dragon? It's not a part of the secular imagery of Christmas, nor is it usually remembered as a part of the sacred story of the birth of Christ. And yet, the passage that we've just read from the book of Revelation has everything to do with Christmas. The time of Advent is nearly over for another year. And during the weeks leading up to Christmas, we pondered some of the prophecies and promises of the Bible that pointed to the coming of Christ. We sang songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and come, thou long-expected Jesus. And it's true. Jesus came into the world as this long-expected Messiah. 
And he was born to deliver his people from their slavery and bondage to sin. He came to bring light and life to all those who would believe on his name. He came as the only one who could bring hope to lost sinners. Jesus also came to break the power of sin and to destroy the work of the devil. He came as the promised seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. It was not only anticipated and expected by the multitudes of those who were waiting for the redemption of their souls. He was also anticipated and expected to come by the devil himself. Though Satan's expectation of his coming was not joyful expectation. The devil knew that the coming of a certain child would spell his doom. And so, that old serpent, the ancient dragon, did all that was in his power to prevent his coming. That's one of the things this passage from Revelation 12 is all about. The woman that John saw who was expecting a child wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. The woman was the church, the chosen people of God throughout history. And Mary was a part of that chosen people. But the image of the woman ready to have the child that we read about in verse 2 refers to the holy line going all the way back to the first woman, Eve. It's from that line of promise that a holy seed of the woman would come. It's from the true people of God that the promised Christ child would be born. You notice, when you read this passage, the woman is described as being clothed with the sun, which speaks of her glory. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. The city of God is a people of God. For it's from them, it's with them, that God's pleased to dwell and make his presence known. This woman has the moon and the sun under her feet, the stars under her feet, telling of, of her authority. She's as, she's as awesome as an army with banners, as the Song of Solomon says. She has 12 stars in her crown, because 12 is the number of the church. The Old Testament people of God was founded on the 12 tribes of Israel. And the New Testament people of God was built upon the teaching of the 12 apostles. The woman represents the church. And it's from this woman, from the covenant people of God, that the child comes. This is the promise seed of the woman about which we read in Genesis 3.15, when God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Those words were addressed to the serpent, who was none other than Satan in disguise, in order to lead Adam and Eve into sin and ruin. God promised that a descendant of the woman would come who would crush the serpent's head. A child would be born to slay the dragon, to deal to the devil a deadly blow. And ever since that first promise of deliverance for the people of God and of doom for the serpent, Satan worked to prevent the coming of that child into the world. Verse 4 says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is a drama that has been played out since the dawn of history. And it's a story that you can read throughout all the pages of the Bible. After Eve gave birth to her sons, Cain and Abel, the devil knew that he didn't have anything to worry about from Cain. 1 John 3.12 tells us that Cain belonged to the evil one. But Abel was the one who feared and served the Lord. You have to wonder, what was going through Satan's mind? He had heard God's word that one day a seed of Eve would come to crush his head. Because God spoke those words directly to the serpent. Could Abel possibly be the promised seed of the woman? Well, the devil wasn't going to take any chances. Satan worked through Cain, to kill Abel in an effort to destroy the righteous line of Adam. If he could kill off all the righteous descendants of Adam, then the deliverer, the promised seed of the woman who would one day crush his head would not come. If there was no Abel, there would be no righteous seed of the woman. So Cain killed Abel. He killed him, fulfilling Satan's desire to prevent the coming of the promised seed. But God's word always proves true. God had a different plan. And he caused Adam and Eve to have another son whom they named Seth. And the line of the covenant continued. In Genesis 6, we read about the sons of God intermarrying with the daughters of men. And here again, you see the serpent working. His plan was to corrupt the descendants of Adam who loved and served God. His aim was to have the righteous descendants of Seth who loved and served the Lord to intermarry with the unrighteous descendants of Cain, those who didn't call on the name of the Lord. That would displease the Lord. For you can't be wholeheartedly devoted to God while you're trying to please your pagan spouse who serves other gods. 
I'm sure that the devil knew that this would provoke God to wrath against his people. And when God, in his righteous anger, would be moved to destroy all life with a flood or by some other means, there would be no seed of the woman left to crush the serpent's head. But one thing went wrong in the serpent's calculations. It was the grace of God. Satan didn't understand it. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is a concept the devil didn't understand. God never showed grace to any of the angels who fell with Satan. But God showed his grace, his undeserved favor to Noah and to Noah's family. And the holy line continued. We read a little later about what happened in the time of Abraham. God had promised Abraham a son through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. But if Sarah could be made to convince Abraham to have a son by Hagar, if Abraham would only settle for Ishmael instead of Isaac, the line of the covenant could be thwarted. You know it didn't happen. Think about the time of Jacob and Esau. If the dragon could work a little jealousy between brothers, that might accomplish his ends. Why not let Esau be so angry that he would hunt down Jacob and exterminate the holy line? What about the people of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt? A new pharaoh comes to the throne, one who didn't know Joseph. If only the dragon can have Pharaoh feel that his kingdom is threatened by the Israelites. What if the, the serpent could work into Pharaoh's heart and cause him to give the decree that all the baby males of Israel be destroyed? Well, that would eliminate the holy line. That would prevent the promised child from coming. And if the midwives disobeyed and don't kill those babies as soon as they're born, then let there be a decree that they be thrown into the Nile to be drowned and eaten by the crocodiles. That was the dragon's plan. But the Lord raised up Moses. At the time, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness as they approached the land of Moab. Balak, the king of the Moabites, became afraid. So he summoned a magician named Balaam, a mighty prophet from the east, to put a curse on Israel so they could be defeated. This Balaam was so powerful that it said that those he blessed were blessed indeed, and those he cursed were cursed indeed. The Lord would not allow his people to be cursed. 
He turned the curses of Balaam into blessings. But that didn't cause Balaam to give up. Balaam advised Balak to have the Moabite women entice the Israelite men so that they become unfaithful to their God. Perhaps they would make the Lord so angry that he would destroy them himself. Well, it almost worked. And don't you think that the dragon was all the time working behind the scenes, trying to lure David into sin and to shatter his relationship with God so that the child long ago promised would not come from his line? Think of the exile. The people of Judah went into captivity to Babylon and to the lands of the Medes and the Persians. There in Persian, there was a man named Haman the Agagite. Haman hated the Jews. And in his hatred towards Mordecai, who was a Jew, he resolved not only to get rid of Mordecai, but to put all of the Jews to death. The plan would have succeeded, except for the fact that a young Jewish girl named Hadassah. You probably know her as Esther. Took her life in her hand and went and interceded before the king unbidden. And through her, God averted the wholesale destruction of his people. And when the time came, Christ was born into the world. You meet in Jerusalem, Herod, Herod the Great. And when Herod heard of the birth of a possible rival to his throne from the Magi, he had his soldiers search for and hunt down the child. And all the infant boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under were killed in this attempt of the dragon to devour the child. But God warned Joseph in a dream, and Joseph and Mary fled with the child to Egypt, away from the reach of the dragon and his agents who lived in Judea. Once again, the dragon's attempt to prevent the coming of the child was thwarted. Throughout the various attempts to take the life for the child and to block the path of his coming, the dragon was unsuccessful. The woman indeed gave birth to the male child, to the one who was going to rule the nations with an iron scepter. The promised seed of the woman came. He accomplished his work. And when it was done, He was caught up to God and to his throne. Congregation of Christ, we usually consider the Christmas season to be a time of joy and celebration. And for us, it is. For those of us who know God and belong to Christ. But remember, not everybody was glad when Jesus was born. 
it's still like that today. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to break the power of sin. And if we are in love with our sin and refuse to give it up, there's no way that we can receive the Christ child with joy and gratitude. He'll always be perceived as a threat until our hearts are conquered by the grace of God. Jesus came to bring light to those who live in darkness. But as long as we remain unconverted in our hearts, as long as we love the darkness rather than the light, we'll perceive him as a threat to us and to our plans. Jesus came to slay the dragon. He came to take those who were willing servants of the dragon and to make them into true followers of himself. And to do it, he waged a war in heaven, in the spiritual dimension. Verses 7 through 12 in this chapter, which I didn't read, tell of that war. But it it talks about the dragon and his angels fighting against Michael and his angels. Michael was on the side of Christ. Michael may even stand for Christ himself. But we read the dragon wasn't strong enough, and he and his angels lost their place in heaven. We don't have time this morning to go into all the details of that battle, People have understood and this, this passage a little differently. Uh, some people have said that, well, maybe this refers to when Satan and the angels first sinned and were cast out of heaven. Others think it's talking about the defeat of Satan at the end of history. Still others say that it refers to Christ's victory over Satan at the cross. That last one is the view that I take, if you're wondering. Just look at verses 10 through 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But to you, O earth and sea, woe! For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The war in heaven described in these verses resulted in, as verse 10 says, salvation and power and the kingdom of God. That came through the cross. And how was the dragon overcome? Verse 11, through the blood of the Lamb, which was shed at the cross by the word of their testimony. The dragon was dealt his mortal blow at the cross. 
final defeat is still to come. But at the cross, the decisive battle was fought, and Christ was victorious. If you've studied history, and you know about World War II, you know the difference between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day was the decisive battle of the war. It was the day when the Allied armies invaded the shores of northern France, the beaches of Normandy, and established a foothold on the European continent. From that point on, the German armies were on the run. There were many more battles fought after that. But the tide had turned. D-Day was the decisive battle. V-Day was the day of victory. It didn't come right away. It came later. When V-Day came, the war in Europe was over. Christ's victory on the cross was D-Day for the dragon. The final victory is yet to come, but the decisive battle has been won. Because of Christ's work of redemption on the cross, the dragon is a defeated foe. Notice the effect that Christ's victory at the cross had on the dragon in verses 13 through 17. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert where she might be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman to sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The dragon, knowing that his time is short, goes off to wage war against the woman, against the church. He hates those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus he will never be able to finally or completely wipe out and eradicate the church of Jesus. God will make sure that the message entrusted to the church about Christ, her Savior, will triumph at last. And to that end, he preserves and keeps his church just as he kept the prophet Elijah long ago. Verse 14 speaks of time, times, and half of time, which probably means two and a half years. 
And the same figure is referred to there again when it talks about 1,240 days. It's the same period of time. Well, I want to challenge you. Get a concordance sometime. And search out the references in the Bible to three and a half years. And I think you'll find something interesting. Outside of the book of Revelation, where you have things like time, times, and half a times, and 42 months, and 1,240 days. Outside of Revelation, there's only one place in the Bible where it talks about three and a half years. And it's a reference to the time that the prophet Elijah was hidden away from the persecuting power of Jezebel and Ahab. Those were great days of persecution for the church when Jezebel was hunting down the prophets of the Lord and seeking to destroy them. God worked in a mighty way in those days. He sent a drought on the land for three and a half years. But all through that time, God preserved Elijah, first in the wilderness, later at the house of a widow from Zarephath, and he kept the word of God alive. The promise of Revelation 12 is that just as the Lord preserved Elijah at the time of that great persecution, so the Lord will keep his church. It doesn't say, mean that the church won't be persecuted. Elijah was persecuted, but God will keep his church as she continues to go forth with the word of God. He will keep her from the wrath of the dragon until the day that the day comes. Congregation of Christ, as we move into another year, and as the thoughts of Christmas begin to fade in your mind, remember, Jesus was the child born to slay the dragon. God sent his son into the world to save his people from their sin. He sent him to translate those who were prisoners of the dragon from the kingdom of darkness and to place them into the kingdom of the son he loves. He came to bring the kingdom of the dragon to ruin. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived or shall live either belongs to the kingdom of the dragon or to the kingdom of God. And the most important thing in all of life is to be sure that you are part of Christ's kingdom and that you're living as a child of God. Behold, Jesus Christ the child born to slay the dragon. The dragon in his kingdom will fall. It'll be utterly destroyed. But the kingdom of Christ shall triumph, and it shall reign throughout eternity. Let's bow our hearts to him in prayer.
Thank you, Father, for sending the dragon slayer. Thank you, Lord, for working in history so that even though Satan did everything he could to prevent the coming of your son, he was not able to overthrow him or keep him from coming. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that your Son, our Lord Jesus, accomplished the work of redemption that you sent him to accomplish. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us so that we might be forgiven. Oh, Lord, help us to live as expectant servants, knowing that you have already won the decisive battle and that one day you will crush Satan completely underneath our feet. One day, all the evil of this world will be cast into the lake of fire forever, the devil and all his followers, O oh Lord, in that day, by your grace, may we be found with the company of the elect, with those who love you and serve you and have been redeemed by your blood only because of your great grace, only because of your mercy. And may we sing your praises forever. Through Christ we pray. Amen.